0: Last Sunday, we introduced a short series that we're calling How to Human, and we started with a premise that humanity in general as a whole has drifted way off course, so how do we reset our course and find our way back? And we acknowledge that first of all, um, it starts with us. Like we have that, this responsibility. So we're, we're talking about how to human and we're using the word human as a verb and we just decided we can do that. And we're talking about what that looks like and what it looks like to human as God intended us To human. By the way, just a disclaimer, I may occasionally look over my shoulder today because the computer is being weird today because they just choose to on Sunday mornings at between nine and noon. And uh, so sometimes I get what's up there in front of me up there and other times I don't. And I'm just kind of you're like, where there's this this screen right there, right above Jen's head. (laughs) How many of you have seen that for the first time? All right, the black paint works, good. Uh, So if I'm looking up there and I'm like, oh, there's nothing up there, I might look over my shoulder because Haley might be scrambling to figure out why the computer, why there's smoke coming out of the back of the computer. So uh, good luck today. Uh, So last week we talked about being human. We offered a few ways to begin to correct our course and to human the way that God intended. So we said, first of all, I gonna review real quick. First of all, we said, be you. And we talked about Jesus as the ultimate example of humanity, as we were created to be, as the ultimate example of human flourishing. And we said that Jesus leaned into and established his his identity as a human, as a a Jewish man uh, living under Roman occupation in first century Palestine. Like he leaned into that, he knew who he was, and he didn't run or hide from that. And we said that it's vitally important for us, for you to know your own story, because both the beautiful parts and the ugly parts of your story, are relevant. Then we said, be love. For Jesus, it was as simple as loving God and loving people. If you live in a love relationship with God, it allows you to love people in unexpected and sometimes seemingly impossible ways. That God injects himself into our attempts to love. And this one's important because love is who God is. Love is what God is like. And Jesus came to show us that. Then we said, be compassionate. That compassion is hoping for each other. And the truest form of compassion is often found outside the walls of our various bubbles of familiarity and similarity. We talked about Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. We talked about the parable of the lost sheep in Matthew 18. Then we said if we're going to human as Jesus called us to human, we need to be justice. That means that to human, we must put action to our conviction. We talked about the elements that make up biblical justice, radical generosity, universal equality, life-changing advocacy, and asymmetrical responsibility. That's a pretty, uh, that's a mouthful, that whole list, but we've kind of just scratched the surface on that, so we're going to definitely come back and flesh that one out a little bit sometime in the next few months. Then we said, be wonder. And we talked about the importance of simplifying and slowing our pace, because in general, we have, as humans, we have lost all semblance of awe and wonder. Like, so we've got to create space for, wa- for awe and wonder in our lives. We told the story of Jesus on the day of his resurrection, meeting up with some of his followers on the road to Emmaus, and that kind of whimsical story in Luke 24. So we said, be you, be love, be compassion, be justice, be wonder, be human. All the
1: heartbreak dreamers Waiting for the light, looking for just one reason to get through the night. Every low, lost. Good.
2: This one right here, uh, this is for the fat girls. This one is uh, is for the little brothers. This is for the schoolyard wimps, for the childhood bullies that tormented them, for the former prom queen and for the milk crate ball players, for the nighttime serial eaters and for the retired elderly Walmart store front door greeters shake the dust this is for the benches and the people sitting upon them. for the bus drivers driving a million broken hymns for the men who have to hold down three jobs simply to hold up their children for the nighttime schoolers and for the midnight bike riders trying to fly shake the dust this is for the two-year-olds who cannot be understood because they speak half english and have god shake the dust for the boys with the beautiful for the girls with those brothers who are going crazy, those gym-class wallflowers, and the 12-year-olds afraid of taking public showers. For the kid who's always late to class who gets the combination to his lockers. For the girl who loves somebody else, shake the dust. This is for the hard men who want love, but know that it won't come. For the ones the amendments do not stand up for, for the ones who are forgotten, for the ones who are told to speak only when you are spoken to. And then i never spoken to speak every time you stand so you do not forget yourself. Do not let one moment go by that doesn't remind you that your heart beats 100,000 times a day and that there are enough gallons of blood make every one of you oceans.
0: As human beings, we are desperate to be seen. We want to be seen not only for who we are, but for why we are. I mean, isn't that the truth? So this is the principle for today, that humans desire to be seen. We do, like everybody does. So that's where we're headed this morning. We spent all of part one last week talking about how to simply be. And I hope we've worked over these last few days to implement some of those ideas we talked about last Sunday. Now we want to start to see. I want you to think about something for a second. Think about every person that you've made eye contact with over the last two days. Just go back two days. Go back to Friday. So for some of you, it's a lot of people. For others, it may not be anyone. Let me tell you something. Every person you have seen is desperate to know that they are seen. Even if you do see them. Like in other words, if they don't know they are seen... Then what good is that for them? Like to see another human is not only for your benefit, but for theirs. Like almost all of the ugliness that we encounter, like online and on social media and on cable news, and that I think it can all be boiled down to people wanting to be seen, simply seen. I mean, let's talk about the fighting and the arguing we see in real life. Like again, people wanting to be seen, people putting political signs in their yards, see us. People putting social and political bumper stickers on their cars, see us. People protesting outside of a school board meeting, see us. People storming the Capitol, see us. Like once you see someone, you can't unsee them. So we're gonna spend our time together for the next few minutes to talk about this and hopefully we land in a place where we understand that seeing someone won't necessarily mean that you agree with them, but it will mean that you care about them. And I think that when we start to see the incredible impact seeing others has. We will start to practice this more frequently and more intentionally than we've ever thought about before. So let's move towards opening the eyes in our heads and in our souls. Uh, It's time for us to see clearly. Let's talk about it. First of all, let's start with this. Number one, see bias. So we're just going to jump in. Okay, there's no warm-up. We're just, we're in it now. See bias. Seeing people isn't always going to be comfortable. And the more I think about it, I, I don't believe it's supposed to be. Like what is comfortable is seeing the civilized and filtered version of people, like the highlight reel, right? The version they want you to see. That's what we, that's what we want to see. That makes us even feel better, right? Because seeing people for who they really are uh, doesn't always feel amazing. Like we sometimes are at a loss for words. We end up not knowing how to handle the awkwardness of their current situation, right? But once again, we look at how our role model of how to human did it. Jesus was not afraid of being uncomfortable. He never shied away from leading his followers to a place where they might be uncomfortable. He met people where they were despite the awkwardness of any given situation. Like, can you imagine for a second if he showed up only... Like, think about how different the story would be if you showed up only to situations where things were like a Pinterest board collection of vibes. And if you missed that reference, uh, how about a better homes and gardens vibe? I don't know. Either way, it's not all that... uh, at all who Jesus was it's not consistent with who he was he didn't just see the righteous and the ones that made the rest of society feel comfortable it was quite the opposite for Jesus and if we look closely at his life we see that he really like he really loved seeing a few groups of people that others didn't want to see so here's my short list he saw women the poor racial enemies and oppressors let's talk about these people groups Like women in the culture in which Jesus lived, women lived in a community only as big as their family. Men simply didn't speak to women. But not Jesus. He saw them and elevated them and He spoke to them in John 4. He equalized their status with men in Luke 13. He ministered with them and He sent them to tell His good news, Luke 24. Like you'd be hard-pressed to convince me that Jesus treated men and women differently because when it came to women, He saw them. And He humanized the poor. He saw them. Luke 14 says, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid. He worked to heal a racial divide. It's, it's not a secret that the Jews and the Samaritans were not fond of each other. We talked about the parable of the Good Samaritan last week. And in John 4, Jesus ends up at a local watering hole with a Samaritan woman, and they discuss some issues and differences between Jewish and Samaritan worship, while at the same time, he displayed this obvious concern for this Samaritan woman. And then when it came to oppressors, I mean, whether we're talking about the Roman occupiers or the Jewish tax collectors who worked on behalf of the Roman Empire, he showed us that he himself is our oppressor peace like he acted in such a way as to bring the two, like see the two groups as one to destroy the barrier between oppressor and the oppressed to bring down that dividing wall of hostility his purpose was to create in the in the representi- representation of his body here on earth the church the assembled redeemed to create a new humanity out of both sides of the divide, whatever it is that divides us. And in doing so, he created an opportunity for peace. He was about making peace. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Ephesians 2. He said, For he himself, Jesus, is our peace, who's made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. And he came and he preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near. That's Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14. I read sections of scripture like that and I'm kind of immediately placed on alert and I think hopefully you are too because I'm like, it makes me ask, how am I treating the poor? How am I treating women? How am I I trying to reconcile any racial bias in my own life? How am I seeing those who I think stand in opposition to me or at the very least in opposition to the way that I see the world? Like how am I seeing people who are different than, I think are different than me and how am I seeing people who clearly think differently than I do? Like how am I seeing them? This is heavy lifting, seeing the seeing people thing. I think the heaviest part is realizing like being honest with how we see people like i wish we could just start this off with like make sure everyone feels seen that's all it takes but unfortunately we have to adjust our lenses like on our own specs before people actually feel seen like we need to see past who we think people are and into who they really are and that's what jesus did so well number two is see closer see closer so if we can if we can like grow in this thing to the point of breaking through our bias and see people, then how does that, like, how does it benefit us? Like, it seems awful, that, uh, it seems obvious that it's going to benefit those who are being seen, but I think there's a significant benefit for us as well. And maybe you've found this to be true. But it's really hard to see people through our opinions and our unchecked emotions. And it seems like that's more true than ever before. Last week we said that there are people in need of our compassion just on the other side of our opinions I'm not taking credit for that statement by the way I, I read that recently so you can have it too there are people in need of our compassion just on the other side of our opinions but man is it hard to even see people through our emotions and through the fog of our opinions and in some days it takes like this superhuman strength to do it and it's interesting because uh, here's how we like, here's how we put this in everyday terms first we have to rewind to Jesus again And look at how He set up His disciples to pull this off without Him. Because when Jesus left the earth, and He left what what we know as the Holy Spirit. And that's who continues to empower us and speak through us even today. In the book of Acts, uh, which is the story of the birth of the church, the earliest days of the story of the church, there is an incredible story of one of the early church leaders having to get uncomfortable in order to see uh, some bias destroyed. This man's name was Philip. We don't know a lot about Philip. We know a little bit more about Philip the Apostle, one of Jesus' 12 disciples, but this is a different Philip. In church tradition, uh, we know him as Philip the Evangelist. He was one of the seven men, along with Stephen, you probably heard of him, uh, who chose to, they, they chose to be the first deacons in the church. And you're like, oh, deacons. No, these were the deacons who were responsible for charitable distribution in the church and in the community. That's who Philip was. Let me read this story, and you may be familiar, but it's in Acts chapter 8, start at verse 26, I think. An angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. (laughs) And he rose and went. I think it's interesting. This is a desert place, so it's not a tropical paradise. And he arose and went. There was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians who was in charge of all her treasure. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. (laughs) So Philip ran, there's no questions asked. Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. probably the most important facet of this passage is a simple historical one. The man in the chariot was different from Philip's society in a couple of big ways. First of all, he was Ethiopian, completely different race than Philip was. Second, he was a eunuch, which meant He served on the Ethiopian queen's high court. So to be a eunuch meant you had been castrated. You were castrated so that the queen knew that you had a single focus in serving her. No other desires but serving her. And that is, shall we say, an extreme sort of dedication, all right? But what I want to get out of this is that that this man was sexually different in that society. Oh, I hadn't thought of that, huh? Extra layers of complexity, right, for Philip to sort through to relate to this man. So the first thing we see is that Philip is told by God to get up and out of his comfort zone and head out of his door, out to the road, and go to the desert. So I don't want us to miss this part. I don't know what Philip was doing at this time, but he was home. And God showed up and messed up his plans for a leisurely weekend or whatever. See, it's never convenient to see other people when God asks us to see them. But like, that's, here, where, that's where we are. So first he heard from God, and then he's like, okay. This, and this isn't complicated stuff. You either listen to other things, or you listen to God. Like, you listen to God, or you listen to all the other influences around you. You trust something bigger than yourself, right? I'm not going to get into the weeds of theology here, but just so you know where I'm coming from, I fully believe that we can hear from God. I believe He speaks to us. I believe He speaks to us through His Holy Spirit. So once Philip got to the road and he saw this, he's out in the desert and he saw this chariot. Let's talk about the chariot, first of all. It's probably, I don't know if you're familiar with what a chariot looked like, but uh, it's probably a single axle, two wheel buggy pulled by a horse. Given his status in the palace, probably two horses. And again, this wasn't your economy model chariot. This guy worked for royalty. So his chariot probably had some kind of covering to provide some shade from the blazing desert sun. So Philip sees this chariot and in it was someone he wouldn't normally hang out with. And maybe Philip saw the Ethiopian and he looks past the chariot and hoping that like, like with everything in him that there's maybe some other chariots coming by with a Jewish man or something in it. But no, it's just this one chariot. And here's what most of us would feel like had, uh, like we'd accomplished something if we like, if, hey, I saw him. If we were just kind of make, strolling out there in the desert on the desert road, just kind of make eye contact. You know, maybe give him, uh, how's it going? Head tilt. What's up? This, huh, the sun, right? Heat. Huh. Take it easy. Gotcha, bro. I see ya. And we move on thinking we've done our duty. Maybe Philip was doing that, but then the scripture goes on. It says that God told him, go over to the chariot. Now, what? It's like, I get it, God. You want me to let people, like driving chariots know that i see them that i still love them sure that's easy right hashtag on instagram retweet or share something that someone else wrote or but to go up to the chariot like i promise you philip was not into this idea the this eunuch was not someone he would normally hang out with but philip obeyed the prompting of the holy spirit and he went up to the chariot and here comes the kicker right verse 30 do you understand what you're reading he said and he says how can i unless someone guides me listen listen and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. To catch that? Not only did Philip go to the road where the chariot was, the chariot that he didn't want to be associated with, but then the Ethiopian asked him to get in the chariot, to get in the freaking chariot. Like, are you with me? Are you getting the significance? It's not going to be enough to simply walk up to the chariots that we are uncomfortable with. No, we have to suck it up, place our opinions, agendas, and egos aside, and get in their chariot. I don't get preachy very often, but I just felt that moment. Did you feel that? Yeah, Yeah, okay. Here's the deal. (laughs) You'll remember this day. Here's the deal. We aren't necessarily called to become best friends with the chariot occupants. We are simply called to see them, whatever that requires, to let them know that they are seen. So, what are the chariots? Like, what are the chariots you need to go to out on that uncomfortable road (laughs) to see? What are the chariots you need to walk up to? And what are the chariots you need to get into? Stay with me because there will be some chariots that you're called to get into where like, you won't agree with a single bumper sticker that those chariots have on them. You may disagree with everything that chariot stands for. And that's great. I hope you have some strong convictions. That's fine. But don't think for a second that that exempts you from the call of the Holy Spirit to get in their chariot. We get in the chariot to let the person in the chariot know that we see them, not necessarily that we agree with them. So think about this. Like, think about our own nation's past. That would have meant British loyalist chariots and patriots chariots. It would have meant pro-slavery chariots and abolitionist chariots, all using the Bible to support their position. It would have meant pro-civil rights chariots and anti-desegregationist chariots. It means conservative chariots and liberal chariots. It means Black Lives Matter chariots and Blue Lives Matter chariots and All Lives Matter chariots. It means LGBTQ chariots and pro-life chariots and reproductive rights chariots and NRA chariots and guns into garden tools chariots and build the wall chariots and welcome the stranger chariots. You get the idea, pick the hot button issue, the one that really gets you heated up. That might be the chariot that God is calling you to get into. I hope that made us a little bit uncomfortable. Because there are so many chariots that we won't even go near. Because like, well, what if somebody sees me near the chariot? They'll think I agree with that chariot. I have good news for you. This should be freeing. We aren't called to convince people who judge us from the sidelines of what our convictions are. Like We are called to simply leave our comfort, go to the road in the freaking desert, walk up to the chariot, get in it, let the people inside know they are seen and loved. That's what Jesus is calling us to. Doesn't mean you turn your back on your convictions, not at all. Think about this. Think about the message that's being received by the person that you're in front of. That in spite of your convictions, you see them. In spite of the differences and the things that we believe, you see them while still holding to your convictions. See them. Seeing humans isn't easy, but it's what we need to do to continue to kind of course correct. Humanity, and I'm, I'm certain of that. So after we see our own bias, we get to see people for who they really are. And in this case, I think seeing is believer, but, oh, believing, but only from up close, like really, really, really close. Like inside their chariot, close. So I just say, if you're like, I'm not quite sure. Here, just do it. Just go on, just get in the chariot. Well, what about this char- Just get in. If the Holy Spirit's prompting you and called you, then just do like Philip and just do it. Number three, see to serve. I think we're in desperate need of seeing each other, despite all of our divisive opinions. And we, like, I think we feel. I don't know about you. I feel seen when I'm served. Um, like, I just think of like the service industries. Like, we would all like to think that when we sit down at a restaurant that we have maybe never been to, the server who approaches our table is going to serve us no matter what. Uh, differences in our deeply held beliefs, right? We would like to think that's true. And, and sometimes, I don't know, maybe sometimes that's harder to pull off than others. I don't know, but like think about this. like Your server at a restaurant doesn't know how much you make or how much you pay in taxes. They don't know how you treat your friends. They don't know who you voted for. They don't know anything about you. They simply serve you because they've been uh, hired to do that. And when you, great, you get great service, you feel seen. So take that to the extent of when people serve you who aren't paid to serve you. Now you really feel seen. And it takes the phrase, you know, it's a thought that counts, and take puts some teeth to it. So Jesus, our how-to-human guide, came to serve. That was his modus operandi. Here's what he told his, his disciples in Mark chapter 10. He said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles dominate them, and their men of high positions exercise power over them, but it not, must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave to all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He came not to be served, but to serve. I mean, we could wrap it up right there, and that's the secret sauce, because you know it's true Um, when someone serves you uh, because it's just in them as opposed to like someone made them. Uh, You feel seen. And we don't have to dissect the Greek text to get to the heartbeat of this idea. It's right there in front of us. So let's let's just, we don't need to spend a lot of time on this. It's pretty cut and dry. Let's take this charge by Jesus seriously. How can we serve those around us like today? Like try it. Today, tomorrow, this week. And see how much more human you feel when you're serving someone else. Number four, see clearly. See clearly. Last week, I referred back to the COVID pandemic experience quite a bit, and much of the tension that was bubbling up through the cracks in the surface of society in late summer, by late summer of 2020. A lot of it was being forced to the surface, not by uh, differing opinions necessarily, but by a sheer lack of even trying to see one another clearly. People were losing their minds. Like, people were losing their minds over, like, if someone wore a mask or not. Like, literal minds were lost, and we're still looking for them today, like, they just, uh, gone, like that's the thing. And I'm not saying that some of the subject matter during that time wasn't important. I just think in the future, people studying history and going to like looking at this period of human history are gonna look back at relationships that ended over a mask and they will be convinced we were insane. Not insane because we had debates and we had discussion over the usefulness or lack of usefulness of whatever, masks or whatever the thing. Like, because we were just so hard-pressed to not back down from our opinions on one issue that we ended up losing relationships over it. All this stuff is such a big deal, right? The masks and the protocols and the social distancing and the closures of this and that and something else and, and then vaccines took it to another level. I cannot fathom that any of those things would be big enough to ruin relationships just because we refuse to see another person's point of view clearly. Now, again, let me just, I need to let you know that issues we are passionate about are important. I mean, some of them are a matter of life and death. I I don't want you to think I'm trivializing those things. I'm not. But we need to consider the value of getting closer to those who may disagree or doubt you. Kind of like when your grandpa reads the newspaper, because it's only grandpas that read the newspaper, and he holds his coffee mug and he's got that paper like two inches from his face, right? Why? Like, why is the paper so close to his face? So he can see. It's not rocket science, it's so he can see why microscopes are used in science it's why telescopes are used by astronomers it's why magnifying glasses are used by 10 year olds to torch ants on the sidewalk maybe not that one but you get my point we must come near we must continue to look up close at things that we feel strongly about it tends to clear things up now does being near to something we disagree with mean we're going to suddenly have an about face in our convictions and opinions absolutely not if it, if it flips that quickly, I don't think it's really an abs, uh, a conviction, right? It might actually clearly affirm that you are in the right place all along. But I just I just want to challenge you. You can't be clear about something if you don't get close to it. We need to be... I hesitate to say this because it's... But anyway, we've got to get near so we can be clear. I couldn't think of a way to say that without rhyming. But we have to get near so we can be clear. We've got to put such here's like we have put such a distance between ourselves and maybe people that we used to do life with in some cases that's needed right like nobody needs to be near someone who's bad for their mental health but maybe there are people who are uh, just simply doubting your position on something or questioning you or disagreeing with you uh, that you'd rather not like hang out with anymore. And it's going to, because that's going to take a lot of work. Uh, so, like, let's stay away from them and maybe we should stay away from them. Yeah, I think we should. Yeah, we should definitely just stay away. I don't know. Let's just come back to our model. Let's just come back to Jesus. If there was a man who did not keep his distance, it was Jesus. Like, he was near all the time. He walked towards those he disagreed with. And he, especially those who disagreed with him, and he dined with those who even laughed and scoffed at his ideas. Like even his own disciples, think about it, were some of his greatest doubters. Like like take this for instance, this moment when he pulled off what he promised would happen, like he came back to life. Matthew 28 verse 16 says, The eleven disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped, comma, but some doubted keep going then jesus came near i love this passage he shows it for so many reasons but i love this like he shows up where he told the disciples to meet him after he just like casually rose from the dead like i told you i was gonna so i did it and there they are waiting for something they aren't really expecting him to show up and like poof jesus does this jesus thing and he appears and some did what he expected them to do they worshiped him i mean how could you not at that point right Well, I would say just ask the rest of them, because they doubted. Like, how could you not? Like, I've never had someone I know resurrect themselves from the dead and then show up anywhere. It just never has happened for me. So I can't tell you exactly what I would do, but I would probably be leaning towards the some-doubted group. I would. I can just imagine like the, the reactions, like, Hey, Matthew, like, no way, no way. This Like, I don't, I can't believe it. Like, can you believe it? I just don't, well, no, I actually don't believe it. You know, I kind of think that's what I would be saying. And I love that it doesn't say that Jesus, I don't know, pulls out his phone and tries to proof his way into, I am alive, I told you I would be, here I am. He starts reading, you know, I can, (laughs) we do this, Right pull out our phone and start reading the disciples of an article we just read. I just read this blog post, or I saw this meme on Instagram, and I think it really does prove it really was him. Look at this YouTube video. He, he didn't send them to, some, to the local synagogue to ask the rabbi about Old Testament prophets and who prophesied. Like he didn't do that. He didn't try to prove his point in all the ways that we like to prove our points from afar. He simply did the one thing, the most human thing that he could do. Scripture says in verse 18 that Jesus came near he came near for like what what better way was there for for to, to show them that it was truly him what better way to erase the doubts that were running through their heads right then in that moment that he'd done what he said he was going to do he got near they saw clearly and that's it we've got to get near so we can be clear and we have got to continue getting near to the people that we are doubting or are doubting us and it doesn't take a degree in debate, it doesn't take training in persuasive speech, it doesn't take a master's in whatever subject matter you are doubting or being doubted on. All it takes is your two feet. Like put one in front of the other and start getting near some people who maybe you haven't been near to in a while now. Come near. It's how we see clearly again. And I think the hard part is not even the physically walking near them, the hard part is gonna be walking toward them in your heart. Like I get that. You're like, well, what about the really fuel-filled relationships, the ones that can go off at any moment, it's a political difference, you know, or whatever, and that thing that has slowly, like, separated us, or where maybe our views on a variety of social issues have slowly created distance. I think it could be as simple as grabbing your phone right now and shooting that person a text, and you could literally, I put it right in the Bible app event today, you could literally copy and paste from the Bible app and just say, hey... Put the person's name in there. I really miss you, friend. Want to... And you fill in the blank. Want to grab a movie this week? Want to go on a hike some, di- some evening this week? Want to grab a coffee? That one's a little riskier. A movie allows you to be close without actually having to have small talk, right? Or any talk. Uh, a hike is the same, especially if you meet at the trailhead. You can just... Here's the thing, though. There's something about... Even avoiding all of the the talk, but enjoying the same experience at the same time with one another. Because at that point, that's kind of the goal, right? Like There are other ways to do this. You figure it out, whatever works for you. Uh, You know who it is you need to get near to. You know who it is you need to get near to again. And I really think that to take the next step in seeing humans, we gotta close that gap. And then the the rest of this thing begins to align to the place where people are finding freedom. (laughs) And then number five, I'm wrapping up, See journeys. There's a saying that I came across a few months ago, and I wish i discovered this a long time ago, like years ago, it would have been really, really helpful. I'm guessing this happens to you, but I get asked all the time, like where I stand on a variety of issues, usually the lightning rod issues. Where do you stand on this issue? It could be about theology, and if it is, it's usually about eschatology, which is end times. It could be related to LGBTQ, it could be political issues, it could be related to race, it could be about guns or life issues or immigration or military conflict. Everyone wants me to like publicly state where I stand. And I've decided that I'd rather not do that. I'd rather not stand on issues, I'd rather walk with people. And I know that's not a very satisfying response, and it drives people crazy, and I apologize for that. But the, re- kind of, but the reality of the question usually has very little to do with me and everything to do with them like they won't be able to decide if i'm worth listening to or if i'm a leader worth following based on a single opinion on a single issue and and so they got to decide and, and and here's the thing that is frustrating to me in my where i am is that everybody gets to decide what the issue is like what's the we all have different issues that are the one the turning point for us and uh, that's not really fair to me, those of us in leadership, and to me, and it's an unhealthy place for you to be because I'm, I'm here's the thing if you stake your entire view of me or anyone else on the basis of one or two viewpoints, I think you're li- setting yourself up. For first of all, disappointment, and then just to live in a bubble that isn't necessarily the real world. So when we remove people's voices from our lives that we disagree with on a certain hot topic, uh, I think that's dangerous and it's, uh, it can be actually go all the way to, over to toxic. And it's, it's not that I'm avoiding a topic. If I have an opinion that my view and understanding of Scripture will firmly support, then I will probably share it with you. If I don't, If I'm unsure, if I'm still in process, or maybe I've never given your pet issue enough thought to have an informed opinion, that's possible, then I'm not going to make up a response just to have a response. Here's another factor for me, and this is a big one for me. I'm not going to forfeit influence for the sake of expressing an opinion that isn't firmly rooted in Scripture. So I'm not going to give someone a reason not to learn from me and not for me to lose influence with them like, without them actually knowing me I do let my opinions be heard on some issues I have some opinions on uh, some sports teams I have opinions on oh I don't know I have opinions I have some opinions on the big things that I have invited some people in to my life while I'm still in process but only people that I'm walking alongside in the real, like, live flesh and blood life. Like, and especially when I'm walking with people whose lives that issue affects. So, so go ahead. I say steal the line. I did. It's not original with me, so you can steal it from me because I stole it from someone else. Use this as your own. I'm not standing on issues I'm walking with people. And the only way to walk with someone is to walk with them so we've got to get close, and we, we can see this so much clearer that way. Jesus laid this out perfectly when he was the... I'm going long, I'm sorry, my announcements were long. He was the last one walking next to a human whom no one else wanted to get close to. In all four of the Gospels, there's an account of Jesus teaching the temple when all the super-religious uh, teachers dragged a woman into the center of it. This woman had been caught in the act of adultery. And the law said she could be stoned. So like there we have it, open, shut case, right? A bunch of old religious guys standing on an issue. Everybody knew where they stood. They stood on the side of punishment and they were testing Jesus to see what side of the issue he stood on. Who would he choose to offend? Who would he make mad? Who Would he, would he be the law and order guy that he claims to be or not? Unfortunately for the people trying to set him up to fail publicly, uh, Jesus turned the issue human real quick. John chapter eight. So the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, making her stand in the center. Teacher, they said to him, this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery and the law of Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? (laughs) Because the issue is clear. They stood on the side of the law of Moses. Now what would Jesus do? Verse seven. When they persisted in questioning him, he stood up and said to them, the one without sin among you should be the first to throw a stone at her. Then he stooped down again and continued writing on the ground because he'd already been writing something. And when they heard this, they left one by one, starting with the older men. Only he was left with the woman in the center. And when Jesus stood up, he said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord, she answered. Neither do I condemn you, said Jesus. Go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. Well, first of all, I'm not sure how she did on that. But I'm like, here we have a sinner. Like, fair enough. Here we also have a group of people looking to punish her who are also sinners. In fact, Jesus is the only one sinless person in the whole story. Jesus, what did he do? He flipped the whole situation around and he made their issue into a person. And he turned the mirror back on them so that they could see themselves in the issue. The one without sin should be the first to throw a stone at her. He turned the issue into a human and invited them into her humanity. And when that happened, empathy was forced into, onto the religious people who stood on a certain side of an issue. It was a chance for them to see themselves in her. And I don't know Jesus wouldn't have gloated in that, but I probably would have. <laughs> like, what a mic drop moment, you know what I mean? Uh, the, this is the kind of thing that Jesus did over and over again. He saw humans where others saw issues. Look at what happened as I wrap up. I love how he continued here and he let her know that she was no longer an issue. He says, neither do I condemn you. I think there's something to learn here, church. You know those people in the wrong, on the other side of the issue, the people you really can't stand, those people? Jesus' words are for them too, to look at them and see them as human, But Todd, they're like, those are some bad people. Okay, whatever. I'm not saying that there aren't consequences for people making bad decisions, but I'm saying walk with people. Walk with people that your big issue is touching. Like, look at them, see them as human. This is what Jesus did all the time, and there's no getting around this. He didn't just let people on a certain side of an issue get away with continually wounding themselves and each other. And it's not like His grace on an issue. is a free pass from consequences. But it was an opportunity for somebody to be seen. And in turn, their lives changed. Whereas if he just viewed them as something to vote against, you know, I don't know if his presence in their lives ever would have made a difference. He literally told the woman to go and sin no more. She wasn't free to go and continue living recklessly, but she was free. And that's the whole point. Jesus walked with her and seeing leads to freeing. And that's where we're going next. See bias, see closer, see to serve, see clearly, see journeys, and see human.
1: Trying to fix a place that feels broken All my words, they fail me My voices don't avail me I'm Trying to say the hope that's unspoken Is this the world you want? Is this the world you Day day you're alive. Is this the world you want? Is this the world you want? You're making it The world feels so malicious With all our hits and misses Feels like we're in the business of rust But it's when I stop to listen All the moments I've been missing finally your voice I can trust. Is this the world you want? Is this the world you want? You're making it. Every day you're alive. Is this the world you want? Is this the world you change the world. You change the world. You change the world. Every day you're alive. You change Say it's your religion, how you say it's your religion. Who you love is your religion, and how you love is your religion, all your science, your religion, all are your age, your religion, all your wars, your religion, every breath is your religion, yeah. Is this the world you want? Is this the world you Every day you're alive, is this the world you want? Is this the world you want? You're making it. Every day you're alive, you change the world. You change the world. You change the world. Every day you're alive, you change the world. You change the world. You change the world.